I'm Mike Vardy. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivities Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vardy, and with me this week is the author of The More of Less, a friend of mine, Joshua Becker. And I say he's a friend of mine. We've only had a chance to see each other whenever we're traveling, uh, you know, whether we're speaking or, or attending the same events. But I feel like I've had a chance to get to know Joshua. And um, this book of his, um, whether he was my friend or not, I, I got to tell you, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal book. I highly recommend you check it out. And, and I don't want to dive in too much into uh, what we discuss right off the bat. But let's just say that I... There are very few books nowadays, I would say probably one out of every 10, that I take action on a step-by-step basis as I go through the book. Uh, The More of Less was one of those. And when you think about minimalism, you're going to hear exactly what, you know, what Joshua thinks about it. You're going to hear, you know, what what, what my process has been. You're going to get to see what this book can do for you. So, and he's got a lot more to offer as well. So I highly recommend that you check it out. But first, let's check out this episode. Let's check out my discussion with Joshua Becker from Becoming Minimalist and the author of the new book, The More of Less, here on the Productivities Podcast. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Joshua Becker to the Productivityist Podcast. Thanks for joining me, Joshua. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, so this this book that I am holding in my hands right now, I got an advanced reading copy from you. Thanks for sending it my way. It's called The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own. I have read a lot of books for for somebody who studies productivity and has like a lot of stuff that they've thrown on their to-do list. I've read several books, I would say, on on the idea of minimalism, right? And this book, out of all the ones I've read, has had the largest impact on me, the greatest oh, impact. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying that because we know each other and we've spoken at events and stuff. I'm saying this because I look at the amount of dog earring that this book has had, and I would say about every six pages, there's, a, there's something that's dog-eared. Now, my, my flaw is that I should have highlighted it when I did that. So now I have to read it again, which is not a bad thing. Um, but this book is... if you. Uh, I want to dive into the, the idea behind why you wrote The More of Less in the first place, because um, you had other books in the past, which we'll, we'll showcase as well in the show notes. But what 
prompted you to put the more of less from, you know, the ideas that you've had in your head? Because the first story in the book, I actually saw you convey a bit at Think Better, Live Better. But what prompted you to put this out there in the in book form in this particular fashion? Because you have covered some of it before, but this is really, I mean, it's not a difficult read at all. So can why don't you share that with my audience now? Well, there's probably a lot of answers to that question. Uh, probably the, the shortest way to answer it is uh, the book that I wrote um, called Simplify, which is the, the first book that I wrote about minimalism, I wrote about a year and a half into my personal journey. Um, and it's it's relatively short, maybe 40 pages or so. Um, this book, The More of Less, is written eight years after beginning the process of minimalism, uh, writing about it and speaking about it, basically living my living every day of my life thinking about it, and so um, I went back to the very early stuff that I that I wrote, and I I think this book has much more uh, maturity and and depth to it. Um, I've, I've become um, uh, pretty familiar with the uh, with the questions that people ask, the the misconceptions that they have, the the obstacles that pop up in people's lives right away. Um, so that was the 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 hope with this book and and the need to write something much more comprehensive than stuff I'd written in the past. Now, I want to touch on what happened as I was reading this book because I think this is the kind knowing knowing what I know about you and we've we've had a, a number of times where we've chatted World Domination Summit, you know, last year we sat while at Jeff Goins Goins I always say Goins because there's a Toronto Blue Jays play, player named Goins. It's Goins. Uh Jeff, we were at his his meetup and we just sat and chilled and and, and enjoyed that time and I think as I started to read this book and and I went through the idea of how do I incorporate this into my life, not just in terms of productivity, because I, I want to get uh, touch on that a bit in terms of how this relates to the to-do lists that people put together and all the ideas that they have. But I I started to think about all the stuff that I had. And my, my idea behind what minimalism meant, um, it, 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 you know, likely incorrectly, in fact, definitely incorrectly, the more I read the book, was about having less stuff. And that's not really what minimalism is, is it? Entirely, I would say. Sure. I, I think, um, you know, in, in broader strokes, minimal, minimalism is about intentionality. Uh, it's about being in, very intentional um, with the things that we own. But more than that, it's being intentional with the life that we're living and what are we striving for? Uh, what are we hoping to accomplish with the one life that we've been given? And I, I usually think that um, there aren't very many people, probably zero, that I've sat across the table from and had a conversation about what do you really want most out of life? When we think about that question, when we ask that question, no one answers my greatest goal in life is just to own as much money and own as much stuff as possible, right? I mean, when we when we dig a little deeper into our hearts and into our souls, we we talk about significance and and influence. We talk about being um, good fathers and good spouses and and making a difference, right? Um, that's what we want to accomplish with our lives, but. Somewhere along the way, or maybe I should say all along the way, 
um, the the world with this with this constant messaging and constant marketing and advertising that that we need to own more that we'll be happier if we own more that we'll be more fulfilled if we own more um, begins to hijack our passions and and suddenly we begin living lives where without even realizing it we're we're constantly desiring or pursuing bigger houses and nicer cars and, you know, a, a more robust wardrobe and cooler technology. And um, all the while, I think if we're to be intentional with ourselves, we know that's not what we most want in life. We've just been um, so wired into that direction that we don't even realize that we're pursuing those things more than uh, more than we even want to deep down. So when 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 you think about it, um one of the things that, that I recognized as I was going through the process of the book, it wasn't just about the stuff, the physical material things, you know, the things that um, that I have physically I can hold on to, I can touch, but it's the stuff that's going around in my head you know, or the stuff that, that I've put into my to-do list and that I've said, hey, these are things that I may want to do someday. Um, I think one of the things that, that, that the book conveys, at least to me and hopefully to those of you who are read it, listening that will read it, is the idea of letting go of stuff that is less it's, – it's not as tangible. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not the – it's the ideas of things that you want to convey. One of the things that you brought up was the idea of uh, – you were you had something that was – it was it uh, – there was something – a hobby that you were pursuing that you were going to – golf clubs. It was the golf clubs story in the book, right, where you had these golf clubs in your garage. And you 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 had kept them for a very long time. Now, how often do you golf again? Do you remember how often you golfed? <laughs> I, I was uh, living in Vermont, and I I was golfing maybe once or twice a year, not not very often. And were you golfing because you saw the clubs and were like, I should probably go and use these, or was it just like, oh, good, I can golf because I have these things? You know, there's a there's a there's a part of the book. Um, that I'll, I'll relate this to, uh, um, where I write about Dave Bruno yep. and, um, and he, he takes on what he calls the, the 100 thing challenge where he's going to get down to 100 items. And he talks about the hardest thing for him to get rid of with this self-imposed challenge was he had to get rid of the woodworking tools out of his garage. Um, and he remembers selling them and seeing him drive off and, and how difficult it was. Um, and he, he said, what what made it so difficult was that it was it was the death of a dream. Mm. Uh, he said he said I I always wanted to be a really good woodworker and those tools uh, represented that. But in reality, I'm I'm not. In reality, I I dreamt about them far more than I actually used them. And um, relating it back to the the golf club story, I, I mean, I I enjoyed golf. I, I liked golf. I, I I wanted to be right. Like I wanted to think of myself as this you know really good golfer that could go out with all the corporate executives on any you know given yeah. afternoon and <laughs> you know and and schmooze some salesmen. Even though I was a pastor at the time, right? But that you know, um, and um and and giving them up, um, and in the moment was was difficult. But in reality, it was about. Um, I was able to give up this vision of what I thought I could be, or uh, how would I how would I rephrase that? Um, uh, given up the given up the um, the dream of what I thought could be true about myself, and instead embracing who I actually was, and and what I actually do do well, and and where I do succeed in life, and um, just being um, more intentional about who I actually was. I had a um, uh, real quick, someone was um, 
I spoken at a conference and they came up to me afterwards and they talked about books and how hard it was for them to get rid of books. Um, and he, he said at one point, he said, I, I looked at my shelves full of books that I had that I hadn't read. And he said it, it dawned on me that I've always wanted to be a book reader but I'm just not a book reader. And so I'd keep all these books almost as a, like a fake me or um, to convince myself that I'm a book reader. He said, but in reality, that's just not how I consume information. That's not where I find information. And so, you know, um, reconciling who we actually are and who we want to be and uh, what's worth pursuing and what's distracting us from what we actually could become and actually what we could accomplish. So for me, the story was my guitar. So I had had an ovation guitar uh, and it's been gathering dust for years, years. Uh, And I was going through the book and that's the story that came to mind when you were talking about the golf club story. I was like, well, you know, I used to play guitar. I still could play guitar. I play like campfire guitar where, you know, the fake chords and all that stuff where you could, you know, get by. And I thought about it. I'm like, you know, I was keeping the guitar because what if I wanted to sit down and play guitar and, and practice? Or what if, like a whole bunch of what ifs. And what what I found was is that it was just there. It wasn't, it never happened. I mean, <laughs> I can, I mean, on a weekend when I would, family time, which is, uh, I wouldn't sit and play guitar. I'd play with my kids, you know, or I'd go do something with my kids. So I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to be that guy. That's not, that's not where my time will go. That's not where I'll invest my time. So let's give it or sell it or, and you've got several different things in the book, which, I, which, you know, we, we won't really get into, but in the book, you talk about the ways that you can, you know, remove some of this stuff from, from your life. And, uh, I put it on on a on Craigslist, and, and someone came by, and they almost immediately wanted it, and it was for somebody who was learning how to play, and they really wanted to, and the the money I got for that, which was far less than what the guitar was initially worth, um, didn't matter to me. It mattered that I had I'd freed up my time and given somebody else that time, and it's the same thing with uh, other things that I've already started to remove out of my life now. This, that that to me removed this decision fatigue as well, right? Do you know what I mean? And is that is that something that most people don't that underrate or they don't really consider when they are in, in the process of adopting a more minimalist life? Is is the fact that they're removing some of that decision fatigue from the equation? Yeah, and not just decision fatigue, although that's a great point. It's almost, um, uh, gosh, I I really should be playing mm. that guitar, right? Like it, yeah. like it's constantly kind of weighing on you, man. I I, I really should. I really should be using my boat <laughs> that I bought and that I, you know, that I that I paid for and I have it. So you have a yeah, dock. So you shelter, put so you, know? you put it so you put it on the water way far away from where you see it, and then you only drive by there like once every month. You're like, oh yeah, I have a boat there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I think it kind of it it just removes that. I, I mean, almost a little bit of guilt or kind of weighing on you of gosh, I really should do that. I really should do that when I have time, um, and and it just allows you to embrace who you are. And and the reality is that that maybe you you do want to pick up guitar again at some point in the future. And if you do, then you'll go find a, a guitar and you'll invest into it. You know, you'll invest the money, you'll, you'll invest the time. But uh, at this point in your life, you know, just because it made you happy in the past doesn't mean you have to uh, hold on to it forever. Well, and I think it's the same thing. I used to do theater and comedy a lot. I haven't stepped on stage to do any of that stuff in a while. And I've reconciled with myself that when I'm retired or the kids are grown up and I don't, you know, that may be a time where I pick that stuff up again. So I think, again, that intention, which which is such a huge 
aspect of it because you can and you mentioned about this with with family members because you know my wife is she hates clutter like she hates clutter but she um she so she she's very she's very much on me about some of the stuff that I've been keeping over the years I had three boxes of memorabilia and I know you talk about this in the book as well from my youth from like conferences I've been to and pictures I've taken and all that and I went through that and I'm down to one box and I did that. And, and now I didn't do uh, that. Probably should have been one of the things I tackled last, but it was the thing that was weighing on me the most. I would look up in our, in our, in our hallway, we have these built in shelves and, and drawers and, and uh, there's a, there's a, just the way the storage is, there's a, a storage uh, cabinet at the very top that only I can reach. And I have to stand on a step stool to get to that. And we call it the dead body storage because it looks like you could put a dead body inside of it. That's that's, what, And so that's what we just call it. And inside of it is literally, and I guess it's kind of a, a, a fitting metaphor because all the stuff up there is the past of me, you know, like some of my past life stuff. And I went from three massive, like I'm talking um, computer boxes, like not, not laptop, but we're talking old school desktop boxes full of just stuff down to one and it felt so good not only to 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 eliminate it but to go through it at the same time and i think that's one of the things you mentioned in the book right is it's not just the idea of elimination but it's it's the processing at the same time right oh yeah for sure um you know every uh randy elkhorn says every increased possession adds increased anxiety onto our lives and um, I usually make the case that every everything we own takes up physical space in our lives, but it also takes up mental space and it takes up emotional space. And uh, we, we don't even realize how much our how much mental space our things take up until we begin to remove them and we suddenly find um, freedom. This very, you know hard word to define freedom, but like that's legitimately the, the emotion that you feel as you begin removing some of these things that, um, that aren't needed. Uh, one of the things that I think are, um, very telling or is very, um, probably difficult, but helpful is, um, when we began removing things, um, we had about I, I took a van load of stuff to Goodwill and it felt great. And I took a second van load of stuff to Goodwill and it felt good. By about the third van load of things that I took to Goodwill, uh, I, I started asking myself some pretty difficult questions like, why do I have three van loads of things in my home <laughs> that I don't need? Right? Why yeah. do I have why do I have three boxes of memorabilia stored on this upper shelf of my cabinet when it when it isn't benefiting my life in any way? And as we remove those things, we're we're forced to ask some of those questions. And some people are scared of them, and and some people stop decluttering when the questions get too difficult. Uh, but I think that the the people who succeed, the people who find out the most about themselves through the journey, are the ones that that ask the questions of why is this important to me? Why am I holding on to it? Um, can I remove it? Um, and and um, really the the journey is as much inward as, as it is outward, I think, in a lot of ways. I want to talk about time and commitment and stuff because that's a lot of what, what my listeners will, will relate to. And one of the things you say in the book is a busy life is an unreflective life. And one of the things I come across a lot when I'm 
dealing with clients through coaching or even when I've been developing my productivity methodology and all the stuff that we've been working on here at Productivityist, the idea of looking back so that you can move forward in a more progressive and prosperous way, um, it, it's the thing that falls on deaf ears. It's the, well, I don't have time to review. I don't have time to journal. I don't have time to be grateful because you talk about gratitude in this as well. Um, what do you recommend to people when they're trying to declutter or minimize or kind of put themselves in the proper perspective so that they are really you know, making the time for the things that they really love to do as opposed to just going through every day with the busy busyness of life? Because that word busy has become a death knell for so many people in terms of fulfilling and meaningful living experiences. Well, I think there's a lot of questions that people should be asking themselves uh, if they um, if they're if they're constantly hearing about busy and, and thinking, oh yeah, that that defines me. And um, I, I think the first question is, are, okay, are are you just in a busy season or are you are you living a busy life? Because I, I I think there is time and there is space and there are seasons where we're and and not seasons like 18 months long but i mean i think there are seasons where uh where we're busy we're going through um um, in America, you know, tax season is April 15th. And so like accountants are busy for, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a couple months leading up to April, April 15th. And so the first question is, are you, are you just in a busy season or have you been busy for, you know, 12 months and, and now it's time to reevaluate? Um, uh, the, the second important question that, that people need to answer or ask themselves is if I am busy, what am I busy about or why am I so busy? Uh, so many people are busy just because they want more money. Like it is about I, I'm busy at work. I'm, I'm, you know, working my tail off so that I can get the promotion. I can get the raise so I can, you know, build my business to this level and reach a certain income. And, and this becomes the, the desire for for it, um, but meanwhile they, you know, most of us have enough. You know, we we have enough money, we have enough stuff. It's just this constant race to accumulate more and more than we actually need that is contributing to our busyness. And so, I would I would start with those two questions, and then um, if uh, if they're settling on, yeah, you know what that. I guess I am busy for some unhealthy reasons. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's prestige or accolades or fame or power. You know, whatever it is that they're um, that they're striving for. And then just taking a step back and saying, okay, how can I, like, how can I realign my life around things that actually matter and things that are actually going to to last? And what does that what does that look like? What are some very practical things that I need to remove um, that I can remove? Um, very easily and quickly to free up um, free up some of that time. As you were mentioning that, I was thinking about the Derek Sivers talk from World Domination Summit last year in 2015, where he talked about the three things, three reasons that people do what they like. They become entrepreneurs either for fame, for fortune, or for freedom. Right. And in a lot of cases, yeah, I I chose to do what I do because of freedom. But you're right. Sometimes that stuff, like if you if you're misaligned, um, it can lead you down the wrong path. Now I want a new Tesla. Okay, this is going to sound bizarre. You're like, wait a minute. And I know in the story you mentioned somebody who wants a, a you know, that you, there's some story about people who want something that maybe, um, you know, may may fly in the face or seemingly fly in the face of of minimalism, um, or the or intentional living. 
And and so uh, the new Tesla announcement went out, obviously, as we're recording this a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I was sitting at the coffee shop with a friend of mine and I saw the, the older Tesla come up. And I looked at him like, you know, that's the vehicle I want. We've been living with a 2002 Ford Focus for since probably 2002. So, um, so... Is it wrong for me to want a Tesla? And if, if, because that, that's one of the things, that, and I know that's not how the book made me feel, by the way. It's just, it makes me think about it because that's a, something that goes a bit of a conflict is I would like to have a Tesla, but is there, what else could I do? Like, should I, I mean, the idea for me, the conflict is, do I go buy the new one that you put a thousand dollars down and it basically it's a giant crowdfunding product at this project at this point? Or do I look for a used Tesla or what? Like, is it okay for me to want that and not only that, but pursue that? You're like, no, I wouldn't want a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> You're greedy. Why would you want a Tesla? <laughs> well, let me try and judge your intentions from um, from, a, from across the microphone here. <laughs> um, look, how, there, do you, how do you reconcile that? I think is the key question here. Okay. So, so first of all, uh, probably one thing that, surprised me very early on about minimalism. So I'll answer your question with a yes and a no. How about that? That, that works. Uh, uh, I, I found very early on, interestingly so, that that minimalism and frugality are not the same thing. So when I talk about becoming minimalist and, and the joy of owning less and, and how it frees us up and frees up time and energy and money and focus and um, <clears throat> to do whatever – you know, whatever we're, we're most passionate about. Uh, that doesn't mean that you, you have to buy the, the crappiest of everything. Okay. It, it's actually the opposite. If, if you're just going to own a couple pairs of pants rather than 12 to 15, then you can spend more money on nicer pairs of pants that you like and you enjoy wearing and that, that fits you correctly. So there is a part of it, of minimalism. And there are some very wealthy people who, who are, are not, uh, who would define themselves as minimalist, but they have very nice, very expensive um, things. So uh, with that as the mindset, uh, hey, if you need a car, right, and and the Tesla's the the car that you want to get, then I, I don't see any I don't see any problem with it. If it's your fourth or fifth car, I might wonder if you actually need to <laughs> uh, need to own it. But if you need a car to get around, and um, you you're not spending money on other things, so you have money available for uh, for this vehicle, then I, I say go for it and consider it a, a benefit of of minimalism. Um, I do <clears throat> uh, I, I do have a, a section in there on. Uh, cars and on vehicles and how certainly in America, probably um, probably around the world, oftentimes the um, <clears throat> the goal of, of of car purchases or the or the pursuit of vehicles has nothing to do with transportation, but has everything to do with prestige or um, um, uh, reputation. Right. That, that yeah. that's the de- that's the desire behind the pursuit of the vehicle. Yeah, that like if, if you drive around with a Tesla, then like, ooh, look at the guy with the Tesla. Right. Yeah. Or right. Like if that's your I mean, if that's how, if that's your motivation, then I would say mm, maybe that's not the best motivation. But if you're like, hey, I need to have a car. We're replacing our car. The Tesla's really fascinating to me. I, I think it would be a nice car to drive that I'd say go for it. <clears throat> but who am I to judge? <laughs> it's the reason that I asked that. It, 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 it came across me when I was sitting there. And actually, it's funny because I was talking to my friend and he's he's an electric car owner as well. And, uh, you know, it, it 
you, you sometimes you can crap rationalize, right? You can say, okay, well, but if I get this and this is the reason why, and actually a lot, sometimes it makes sense when you start to really think about it. But most people just have this desire to like, I, the Tesla is the new hot thing or whatever the new hot thing is, the Apple Watch or whatever it is. I want one because it will bring me this, it will bring me that. We often just buy things. And you talk about this with the idea of consumerism and, and the messages that get sent in the book as well. Um, you know, I have no need for an Apple Watch. I, you know, it's one of those things where I see it and I'm like, you know, I don't wear a watch now. Why would I buy one to wear a watch? The only reason I could possibly justify it is the is the fitness component. But if my phone is in my pocket all the time, I'm probably getting that anyway. And maybe I'll buy something a little bit more honestly. The Withings or something like that might be more beneficial. But I don't really need it. And you talk about the idea between how do I tell the difference between a need and a want? And this is interesting because as I was reading that part, I'm like, the, the now your method is about dealing with the things that you need to do, the N, deciding on the things you ought to do, and that, which is where we often get stuck, and then ultimately doing more of what you want to do. So how do you, 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 your answer, and you say this, is if you try doing something without something for a while, rather, that's your, your answer. How, how did you come to that? Like, I mean, because a lot of people get stuck in this middle phase. Well, is this a need or is this a want? How do I make the decision? How do I, like, I want to check Facebook. Is that really a deep want or is it more of a, uh, are you kind of cheating along the way? Like, I think this has a lot to do with intention as well, right? Oh, sure. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk about it in terms of possessions, but certainly I think it applies to um, our schedule and uh, al- sure. almost every fast, almost every habit of our life, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I stumbled onto experimenting very, very early on, and I, it was um, my cable bill went up. And um, it was a, a summertime in Vermont, and my cable bill went up, I don't know, 15 bucks a month or something. And I'm like, why am I paying this much for for cable? Let's Let's just cancel it. Like, I'm I'm sick and tired of let's cancel it and let's see what happens. So we canceled our cable and we went several months without it and we loved it. Like it was great. We found that we just started spending more time as a family. We started being outside more. Uh, We got involved in other things. I started doing more reading. I started writing like life was just better without cable. And but I didn't necessarily know it was going to be. I just wanted to test it out. I was almost forced into it, and yet I loved it. And so I, I did it with clothing. I had minimized my clothes. We maybe I went to like half the closet that I had before. And Courtney Carver's Project Three Thirty Three yep. pops up, where all these people are just experimenting for three months with thirty three articles of clothing. And at first, I'm like, holy moly, I could never go down to thirty three things. Then I'm like, well, it's just three months. Maybe I could test it out. And so I tested it out and I found after the three months, I like very early on that I loved it, that I I thought I needed 50 or 60 things in my closet. But in reality, 33 felt so much better and nicer and I enjoyed everything about life better having less clothing. Um, And but I I wouldn't have known that until I tested it out. One of the things that we had done when we moved here to Phoenix was we went from two cars to one car. Um, my, my wife and kids, my kids have school and my wife has her life. And I was working at the time about 10 miles away. And we're like, I I don't feel right writing about minimalism, having two cars. We should probably like, we should probably go down to, we should probably go down to one. And so we went down to one and just to test it out, to experiment uh, with less. And we found out that it didn't work for us, that my wife was running all over the town, picking me up at work, picking the kids up. And so then we realized, okay, you know what? 
it, it doesn't work. It was more burdensome to just have one car than it was to have two. But in each of those examples, it was, it was a time of experimenting and testing and, and saying, you know, could I go for, for this Facebook example, right? Like, could I, could I be okay with just 20 minutes on Facebook every day? Or could I go an entire week without Facebook, right? Like you, you test it out and, and you come back and you're like, okay, I actually do need a little more time, but you know why, and you're a little more purposeful uh, about what you're trying to do and how you're trying to use it. Now, let's talk before we wrap up, we only got a couple minutes left about the hope effect, because you mentioned that in the book as well. And there are some and some of the proceeds are going to the hope effect. Why don't you share with with everyone here what the hope effect is and and why you started it? Because it's, it's a really cool initiative. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, the the Hope Effect is a uh, nonprofit organization that is changing how the world cares for orphans. Um, most people, when they uh, in developing nations, um, when when we picture orphanages, um, most people have a mental picture of what an orphanage looks like. Right, thirty or forty kids, a couple adults, uh, you know, in this square building somewhere. And um, uh, the problem is that we've actually known for decades that this type of environment is actually pretty harmful for for children just because uh, they don't get the interaction and attention and affection that kids need from a very young age for their brains to develop correctly. Um, and so these orphanages where they're this traditional orphanage where there's large child to adult ratios, most of the kids age out behind in every stage of, of human development. And so um, we uh, we signed this contract to 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 write this this book, uh, write a second book as well, and um, we were we're content. Like I, I I have what I need. I, I I'm not buying a lot of stuff. I I don't want to buy a lot of stuff, and so uh, I feel like I had this influx of money. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, <clears throat> This influx of money that that could be used for something else far more significant, and so we we used it to uh, start the the nonprofit, the the Hope Effect, and um, uh, our our book advance money is funding all the administrative expenses behind the organization, so that 100% of donations can be used um, immediately and directly for orphan care, where we are building. Um, smaller housing units. Um, and so in each housing unit, uh, we'll have eight children and two adults. And so in, in this way, it, it functions like a family. It, it acts like a family. Kids get the attention and affection that they need. Uh, also, they get a just a picture of what a family looks like um, for, for when they age out and when they begin their own. That's that's awesome. Uh, I think it's, it's phenomenal that, you're, that you guys are doing that. And uh, I think it's phenomenal that you've got a lot of ways to help people value, you know, find value in the more of less. Um, Joshua, it's been awesome talking to you. In the show notes, I'm also going to show your uh, your uncluttered course, which I think is is also awesome. The online course, I'm going to put that in there as well, just in case you know, because it, it, it's you can enroll anytime. Correct for that course. Well, so. Um, people who pre-order the book can take the course for free, but, uh, but Mike, that's May 2nd. That's the last day that they can pre-order the book to get the course for free. So you have, this is, this is intention right now. The only intention you have to pay attention to is to sign up for, is to, is to get the book and then you can register for the course for free, which is, you know, it's, it's, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but, um, I mean, Again, with somebody like Joshua Becker, who is so intentional and deliberate and, and so forthcoming with, with what you offer, there's the value in there is undeniable. So I check it out. 
the course is good. Um, the the course helps people apply the principles in the book into their into their life. And uh, even if they happen to hear this after May second, there's a there's a coupon a discount code in the back of the book to uh, to take the course for um, for a less expensive price. So there's there's benefit either way. Awesome, Joshua. Where can people find you uh, online uh, when they want to learn more about what you have to offer, which is a whole a whole lot of more, really, when you break it down. Becomingminimalist.com is uh, where you can find anything and everything that I do. That's home base for me. Awesome. Joshua, thanks for joining me this week on the Productivities Podcast. Yeah, thank you. So there you go. Uh, Now... This is one instance where I I won't necessarily talk about where you can get more because it seems like it wouldn't be fitting. But remember that there is some intentional stuff behind becoming a supporter of the podcast and getting a little bit more every single week, whether it's the additional content in every weekly episode, whether it's the bonus episodes, whether it's the perks, whether it's the knowledge that you've been generous, as Joshua mentions, the generosity behind supporting a show that you listen to and that you enjoy. So if you go to patreon.com slash productivityist, you can do that, uh, support at whatever level you're comfortable with. But I would rather see you do that for the hope effect. So if you have to choose, please choose the hope effect and give to that organization. Um, because, uh, you know, what Joshua is doing with the Hope Effect is phenomenal. And what he's done with this book is 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 equally so. Um, and I think both have huge impacts on people now and will in the future. So, again, all you need is in the show notes. Um, if you like this episode, I'd love to see a rating and review. If that's where you'd like to be generous as well, please do so. I'd, I'd, I'd love to learn how I can make this show better. And uh, if you have any guest suggestions or whatnot, that's where that kind of stuff can pop in as well. Again, I'm, I'm still kind of floored with, with the impact that this book, again, conversational in tone, uh, you know, not a tough read, but yet very powerful uh, all the same. So thanks to you, all of you for listening. Thanks to Joshua Becker for joining me this week. Thanks to John Polstra for producing the show each and every week. And uh, thanks to, again, thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, That's it. Uh, I'll be back next week with another fresh, shiny episode for all of you to enjoy. Until then, I am your host, Mike Vardy, founder of Productivityist, Productivity Strategist, and father of two, husband of one, reminding you to stop guessing and start going.